I'm just going to let you know, I've really been looking forward to this. There's a lot for us to unpack. The only thing I ask you to be patient. It's coming. It's going to happen on this episode. Listening to this episode right here, you are absolutely going to hear how to take things in your own hands, how to watch for opportunities in your career and take advantage of them, even when things don't go your way. You're going to find out how to fight back when you need to do so and how life can lead to some unexpected places. All going to be covered on this episode. Our guest right now is somebody who's well-known throughout our radio industry, sharp, smart, often cuts to the point directly, unafraid to speak his mind. I think all those things are fair. It would be surprising if this guest doesn't tell you exactly the way he sees it, and he has a lot to offer. He has had an exceedingly successful career. He's a pioneer. He's somebody who has often done things not for the faint of heart. I think we can all agree on that. And of course, he's won again and again and again and given back to, so are you ready? Welcome to the Radio Rally on the Clubhouse app. If this is your first time listening, what you're about to hear will be focused on lifting you up, giving you good advice, and hearing the stories from an amazing radio pro right now, also uncovering the path forward in radio. Many local broadcasters today discovered that, look, they need programming services, maybe more than ever, and they need to find a way to make them affordable. That's why we're here. My name is Lloyd Ford. I'm with Rainmaker Pathway Consulting Works. We help local broadcasters make more money by being a programming partner who can fully develop the right position for any local brand or brands. Coach local morning shows and other talents, design and execute station architecture that wins provide weekly music updates and even produce your daily music blogs if you need provide excellent voice trackers sales and promotional ideas that move the revenue needle forward we are confidential and market exclusive for radio you can reach out anytime f-o-r-d at rainmakerpathway.com today's live event of course will be a podcast it will be a podcast episode in the encouragers the radio rally podcast and will become available soon after the end of this live event wherever you get your podcast. That means you can go back and listen to it on demand. You can share it with other people. It'd be great. Of course, our thanks to Joe Kelly for producing our podcast events and JustJoeProductions.com for producing our audio footprint and distributing them. What is about to happen on this live event? Well, we're about to talk to Jerry Del Caliano in just a minute here. And of course, I was fortunate to talk with him earlier this afternoon. And I wouldn't be surprised if a theme pops up about not being a victim, or as some might call it, playing the cards that you're dealt in life. It was a part of our conversation earlier, and I look forward to what we're about to do with Jerry. Jerry, of course, is known today for a variety of roles, so it kind of depends on how you know him. But I can tell you this, you're about to get to know him a lot better. I do want to share what happens uh, next Monday. It's a preview of the Radio Rally next Monday. Uh, I've been looking forward to this one, too. Milt McConnell is going to be with us. He is the VP National Sales Group Strategy uh, Director at Alpha Media USA in Portland, Oregon. And he's got some provocative things to share with us about uh, his role about his company, about 
where he's going and how he sees radio, and I can't wait for that either. We do have guests every single week on the Radio Rally. You can see our full forward-leaning guest calendar all the way through. I, I, we're starting to book August, believe it or not, 2022. It's in our free blog section at RainmakerPathway.com. That's also where you can learn more about our upcoming Q3 event that's exclusive for radio sellers and sales managers and market managers. And of course, that includes our revenue accelerators, including Odyssey, St. Louis Senior VP Market Manager, Damian, and Alec Drake from Drake Media Group in Dallas, along with Donna Baker, who's the regional VP with Cumulus, who is also, of course, over the Kansas City market. They're going to talk about how you can effectively boost your revenue in Q3 and the last half of 2022. Of course, it's only for people who want more revenue at radio. That's you, isn't it? Tell your sales manager and market manager the event is July 7th, 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific on the Clubhouse app. Of course, you can also wait until July 7th or July 8th, and it'll be right on the podcast, The Encouragers, The Radio Rally Podcast. You might ask why a programming consultant has so much activity around helping sales departments. Well, become a client. You can find out all about it. We don't lock away anything on our site the way some consultants do. Go to RainmakerPathway.com anytime and see what you can get for free from our team. Okay, today's guest. Essentially, listen to this. This is the path that we're following here. Professor, music business program, NYU uh, Steinhardt, a clinic, clinical professor, Music University, University of Southern California from 04 to 08, publisher InsideMusicMedia.com, TV, radio, program management, publishing, and digital media, founder and publisher of Inside Radio, publisher of Day Starters. Do you know about that? I'm going to tell, talk about that here in a few minutes with him. Also, the blogs at InsideMusicMedia.com. We are very honored to have Jerry De Del Caliano as our guest on the Encouragers, the Radio Rally. Jerry, welcome to the Encouragers, the Radio Rally. How are you, sir? I'm fine, thank you, and thanks very much for the invitation. I'm pretty excited. You're you're sort of an intimidating character from a distance, but we're going to talk about how that may not actually – that doesn't float too well when you get to talk to you in person. You're so positive, and you have a lot – you have a really dynamic perspective. But look, I want to start at the beginning. People want to know about you, right? They they may know you from your blogs. They may know you from other things that you've done, certainly. Where are you originally from, Jerry? Well, I was born in Hoboken, New Jersey. So, so that means that – and actually on the on – the, we lived right across from the Sinatras. Did you really? Yeah, it was my claim to fame. Uh, uh, that was that was it. So I brushed with greatness, except that I wasn't old enough to even, you know, know him. He was there. He, I guess he was there, but he wasn't there when I was there. So, and did you ever meet him in your lifetime? No. Yeah. Well, no, I didn't meet him. I've seen him perform, but uh, uh, so that's our that's Hoboken. And but I've spent a lot of my life and my career in the Philadelphia area. So. When I go back and forth, I live in South Jersey, which is right outside of Philadelphia. And when I go back and forth to NYU, I feel comfortable in both spaces because my career was in Philadelphia. 
and broadcasting career on television and radio. And, um, and of course, uh, New York is special to me, too, except uh-huh. when I get stuck in traffic in the Holland Tunnel. And then that's another story. Well, that's special in a different way. Yeah, really. That's right. Yeah. Survival. So, <laughs> so let's talk about Philly a little bit. I want you yep. to tell us about your time at Temple University and earning a degree in radio, television, and film. And especially, I want you to tell us about party time, if you will. Uh, well, it's funny you say that because my dear friend that I grew up with, uh, I've known him since we were six years old. Um, we did a show together at Temple. Uh, on the Temple yeah. radio station. I've tried to confiscate all the tapes that are out there, but some of my friends still have them. Um, and so I just had dinner with uh, my friend Bob Donzi and his beautiful wife, Debbie, and Cheryl and I had dinner with him Saturday night. And I said, you know, somebody remembers party time. And he said, I, th- I thought you uh, got rid of all that evidence. Mm-hmm. But I said, no, no, it's out there. And we did a great show from... Um, from the campus, um, which was fun for us to do because it was kind of like a tonight show with for radio. It was really an odd thing. And Bob and I have a dynamic where, and even to this day, even the other night, mm-hmm. uh, we have this sense of timing with each other. We, when we sense something funny is coming, we can set the other person up. Nice. And um, so that's how that happened. But well, well, you know this is true in radio, especially with morning shows and any talent where a team is involved. Chemistry isn't—I won't say it's everything, but it's a lot of everything. Yes, I, I believe you're right, and I believe in chemistry. If it's there, it's there. Or as the fra- favorite phrase I like to use is uh, back from the vinyl era of music, and that is, uh, if it's in the grooves, it's a hit. And all the payola in the world still isn't going to get you into the top 10. So, you know, that's the truth. It's got to be there, you know, and and chemistry is one of those things. If it's in the grooves, if it's meant to be, if you have the elements and uh, and and Bob and I have that. So that was great. Temple was very, very important to me. Uh, Well, well, I want to talk about that because we're going to build your story one brick at a time a little bit here, because we want to know about things about you before we get to the big stage, if you will. How influential was Temple University on your choices going forward in your career? Well, you know, I wasn't blessed uh, with coming from a family with a lot of money. Uh, so I had to, to worry about um, being able to afford college. And um, But you got to go back a little bit, uh, Lloyd, to my childhood. I was... Uh, um, adversely affected. I guess today I'd be in therapy uh, at that age with, with the illness of my father. When I, mm. when I, just a couple of weeks before I entered first grade, we had just moved into a new house. Uh, he had a massive heart attack, and and, and I had uh, even to the till the day he died because he did live longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it is one of the. Um, most important events that happened in terms of my development because, um, you know, I just was not able to concentrate on things that or, or one would ordinarily concentrate on. I, I was a, a, you know, a friendly kind of a kid. I liked to talk to people. I guess I should have been a disc jockey from the very beginning. But I went through a phase that was really um, shy and people who know me laugh at it, but it's not a laughing matter to me because 
Uh, I know that I have a side of me that is very private and I have a side of me that is very public and I've come to learn that I like both sides. So that's that. So I went to my father, an old Italian guy, and I said, I want to be a disc jockey. And he said, um, he said, well, good, you're going to college. I said, (laughs) I said, I I don't need college. Uh, I, I, no disc jockey goes to college. You don't need it. And he said, well, you need it. I said, no, it's not necessary. Uh, he said, you'll be the smartest disc jockey out there. Right. And, and, you know, he had his way. Um, and, but the college I went to was Temple. I remember my father used to say, you need something to fall back on just in case. Right. And, uh, early in my career, I had, uh, uh, I got, I won't bore you with it, but I got jobs at Channel 6 in Philadelphia, the ABC affiliate. And, um, and you know, radio stations like Famous 56 and uh, yeah. WIBG, which was big at the time. I programmed later and, uh, and Wi-Fi 92. How's that for call letters? Wi-Fi oh, 92. A little bit dated, right? Well, well listen, but you know. We're going to, the the really good part is I'm going to get to some of those things, but I want to ask you this first. I read that your first job in commercial radio was working for Jerry Lee at WBEB. First, how can that be true? And second, how was it working for him? Well, uh, Jerry Lee, back when they started that station, it was out of a, over a bank in the Germantown section of the city. And, and, um, so it was not a fancy operation, but I, I was actually hired by Marlon Taylor, who is, if you don't know him, is a tremendous human being. It's just a wonderful guy. My first exposure to a program director that you could learn a lot from. And, um, you know, I remember taking the audition, you know, are you any good? And I said, yes, of course. And then after they listened, they came back and said, well, you're not that good. Mm. And I said, well, but I'll get better. <laughs> right. And, and that he, he was the one inducted into the hall of fame here in Philadelphia. Um, he was in the audience. I was so thrilled. And so was Jerry Lee. And I was very pleased to have come in contact with those two people, or I would not be in this industry. And then on the other hand, uh, there was a man by the name of Bill Wright who did a radio show, um, on one of the local stations and he, he i remember when i was in high school he he let me come to the station and sit in the studio and i'm telling you from that moment on i knew what i was going to do and i always thanked him and when they did the hall of fame presentation he yeah. did he did the video so oh so nice yeah well listen i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna chime in and say a couple just a, a little thing about jerry lee here which might resonate in the rest of our conversation uh, you know, you talked about, you know, it wasn't that big of a palace or it wasn't that big, of, all this, all the stuff that Jerry Lee became, right? Uh, at the time that you went to work with him. Well, the thing about Jerry Lee that makes him so different is that if you look at people who have these big broadcast companies today, they're not brand builders. They didn't, they inherited the good brands that they had. Jerry Lee built his. Right. That's true. And, and I know him on another level because he is 
one of the most unique individuals. I remember bumping into him at a, a Vegas convention and he was walking around the, the casinos in those days. You hear all the coins dropping and everything that, that sound. Yeah. And he said he, he liked to go there. It helped him think. Really? And from the very beginning, I realized here's a guy that couldn't do enough research. Bill Moyes is another guy who uh, research uh, person who was very instrumental to Jerry's success and someone I used a lot. Incredible, at, actually. At Inside Radio. I, yeah. I actually paid a lot of money to get him because he was worth every penny of it. And he would come in and sit down with Tom Taylor and Steve Butler and myself, and he would tell us the answers to the questions we wanted to know and whether we liked to hear them or not. And um, so, but Jerry Lee's he brings something special to the equation, as you say, because he is a man who was there from the beginning. It's right. his baby. He, he looks for ways, or he did look for ways to spend money to make it better. He is the antithesis of your radio executive today that gets me hot in the collar. <laughs> <laughs> he not like them. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about you and programming radio, because some people don't know this. You programmed radio stations. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, uh, they were hit radio stations, and um, and I was I worked for a man named Paul Drew, who, uh, okay. who um, was a very unique guy because he, was, uh, he would fire people. He came into the station I was working at already, and uh, – I guess I had nothing to lose. I was young. I, I didn't have a family. I mean, if I didn't work, I would go work somewhere else. So I wasn't afraid of him. But a lot of people were afraid of him. And, um, you know, he would fire somebody every week. And then on Friday, he'd walk up to someone and he'd say, well, you're still here. Wow. Uh, he was a tough guy. But I knew him on another level. And I learned things from him that I have never forgotten. Like... As smart as I may think I am, sometimes I'm not very smart. He was a guy who knew everything. He knew what was going on, and he asked people things as if he was Columbo. You know, he, oh. he, he just sounded dumb. Oh, yeah. And one, time I, said, one time I said to him, uh, uh, Chief, I used to call him Chief, I said, Chief, why why are you asking me this? You already know the answer. And he said, how do you expect me to learn more if I'm going to tell you what I know instead of what you know? Very nice. So listen, I got to ask you this before we do anything else. When you were that student at Temple, did you ever think that you might teach college classes? <laughs> well, that's funny because my father wanted me to be a teacher to fall back on. And I said to him, Dad, I never want to teach. I will never, ever, ever be a teacher. My two uh -huh. sisters became teachers and they were very good and a lot smarter than their brother. Um, but um, I, I absolutely didn't even hear of it. I wanted nothing to do with it. That's interesting. Uh, I bet you've lived long enough as I have to know, to be very careful with that word never. <laughs> when it comes out of your mouth, it is it's the express lane to get what, to yeah. whatever you're talking about. Listen, you were a, a Dale Carnegie certified trainer for yeah. 11 years. This is over a yeah. decade, and you yes. absolutely crushed it. No. What made that such a great fit for you? Well, because um, I had always blessed with a lot of drive and a lot of ambition and I never quit. 
Uh, Steve, Tom, and I, when we were inside radio, I'd, we'd sit there Friday working late, and I'd say, well, I wonder if my good friend Barry O'Brien, who I love, by the way, and tried to hire so many times, and he was a salesperson for uh, R&R. I said, I wonder if he's having a drink tonight or whether he's working late like we are. You know, it's the intensity of the personality driven. And the one thing that I learned from, well, I learned many things from Dale Carnegie. Mm. But um, we all need to, to look at the other side, which is it's not just how to win friends and influence people. It's how to get along with difficult people. Yes. It's how to get along with yourself because sometimes we are the most difficult. And some of my students, and to this day, this generation, I'm so worried about them because they're, they're, um, they face many mental health issues and they will articulate that. Um, they live in a very complex world. And we use Dale Carnegie principles as part of our music in the media business class at NYU. Wow. And they just approved a new course that I wrote for, um, for which starts in January um, of the next school year, which is called Stress-Free Living and Working in the Music Business. And it's a course that is subject-specific about things like imposter syndrome. Do you realize that students, as talented as they are, um, some have this feeling that they're imposters, that they're not the real deal. Yes. And, you know, when I talk to them privately, I always say, well, I knew I was an imposter when I was in broadcasting. I shouldn't have had the job at Channel 6, but I just wanted to go as long as I could before they figured out I was an imposter. Nice. <laughs> and that's a different mindset. I mean, that's somebody saying, but these are talented people. Right. And we see that as one of many, many uh, issues dealing with anxiety that, that and this is one of the greatest generations coming up, one of the most accepting, uh, most inclusive. And I'm, I'm honored to be able to teach them. I, I, that's the best job I've ever had and the one that's the most rewarding. That anxiety for that generation that you're talking about is you can feel it. It's very real, you know. Yes. Uh, listen, I want you to tell us the story of Inside Radio, and I'm going to put an asterisk next to it. I I want to know about it before the lawsuit. We're going to talk about the lawsuit, but I want you to tell us the story of Inside Radio. I didn't know that it struggled at first, actually. Uh, you know, today we always think about things should be immediately successful. And we think that success is something that just comes to people who are successful. How did you start Inside Radio and how did you know to stick to it until it became successful? Well, I'd like this to be a wonderful thing that says uh, what a wonderful human being I was um, to, to be able to come up with this. But it's really not that. Um, I was fired from a radio job as a program director by a guy who embezzled money from his boss. <laughs> no. And he, we didn't know that at the time. Eventually, he and, and his wife were up in an airplane and they, he killed her and he crashed the plane. Mm. I didn't like him from the very beginning. I thought he was a nutcase myself, but I'm out of work. So, uh, yeah. and it, so basically it was for looking for a job. And I went and did an interview in Chicago at a radio station where the general managers, I've told this story in print on inside music media, but the short version is 
Um, I sat there waiting for the interview with program director. My wife at the time was in Philadelphia. And, you know, the one thing I'll say about Philadelphians is they never move. You can't oh. get them. <laughs> if they do go, they'll make you miserable because <laughs> I had that to deal with. Oh, my. But anyway, I walk in for the interview and the, the manager walks out of the office and he says, uh, Jerry? Yes. He said, hi, I'm Charles Manson. Really? And, and that was his name. The, the not, not the same Charles Manson who was the murderer, but that's when I knew I was in trouble from the very beginning. He sat down. He must have liked me. He hired me. and But he changed his mind. Uh, over the next couple of days, and he never returned my phone calls. He hired me on the spot. I was in real trouble by then. Oh, yeah. I had nothing left to do. So I went, I was getting increasingly depressed, and I went to a bookstore at a mall, Mm -hmm. and I saw a book that said, and I still have it, um, how to make $25,000 a year writing newsletters. And... I bought the book. I even have the, the slip for how much I paid, which is like nothing. It was a hardback. And there it was. It was all in there. And I, I, I never thought of it before. I said, well, maybe I'll do this in the meanwhile while I get a programming job because I'd much rather program. Thank God I didn't. I, I still would much rather program than anything else. That'd be, that's the most important, the most fun, the most wonderful thing in the world, I think, is programming radio. Well, there's a lot of great qualities to it <laughs> that are so exciting listen i also remember radio only uh, yeah. what was that adventure like for you well you know i thought i'd need a way to 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 find a magazine that i could or a publication that i could uh, put advertising in sure. the original inside radio didn't have it the, the faxed version did and we made a lot of money from that mm-hmm. but um, and we thought, well, why not a, a magazine for radio? And I remember where I w- was on Long Beach Island in New Jersey. I went in the water. I was with my girlfriend at the time. I came back two hours later. I call that the my, my office whenever I go into the ocean. Sure. And two hours later, I walked back and I said, I got the name of the publication. What is it? Just Radio. And I sat there and she looked at me and said, well, that's great. And I knew something was wrong. <laughs> it mm-hmm. couldn't be just radio. I mean, so um, that's where the term radio only came up. And um, what a lot of people don't know about the magazine is I wrote most of it. I is wrote that it right? Once, yep. I wrote it once a month from a seven or eight o'clock on a Friday night until four or five o'clock Saturday morning until I couldn't stand up anymore. And I just wrote bullet points. I, I wrote all these topics that how I would program a radio station or how I would get a marketing team going. And I put, put it in there like USA Today, very sure. distinct. And it was a success and made a lot of money. And, um, and we, we had an opportunity to, um, to enjoy that and also elevate radio to a position where it could have a publication all of its own. That was before Radio Inc. became a publication, and uh, it was in the era of broadcasting, which appealed to a lot of different things. Absolutely. Listen, do you consider yourself to be an entrepreneur? I think we that's a fair question. Well, I don't I, – I would say yes, I have entrepreneurial qualities. Um, but um, I think a lot of people are entrepreneurs, but they – 
they fight the, the tendency. It's, it's a battle in a human being, Lloyd, where uh, the entrepreneur is driven by things that, you know, I don't go to sleep at night and have problems sleeping. I think about work. I think about work before I go to bed and then I fall asleep. So, yeah. uh, but I love what I do. I love everything that I do. Well, I'm, I'm working on one of my courses today for next fall, three months from now. Right. Uh, and every second that I can spend on it, I, I like to do it. So I, I don't well, know. It's, it's, it, it's, it's a set of skills that people have that are really scary. Well, you're a really interesting guy because there's radio. Then there's, I'm just going to go ahead and call it the entrepreneur thing for a minute. And then I'm going to say also academia, which you like also. You yeah. like all three. Yes. And I'm surprised. And my, my wife always says, boy, if your father only knew. Right. You know, after, all right. after what you put him through. <laughs> right. Of course. He was right in the end. So, yes. so listen. This is a precursor to the next question, which is probably a doozy. Uh, this question is a little bit closer. I'm on the same track here. Are you a risk taker, Jerry? I don't think there's any doubt. No doubt. Okay. So because so few people that you meet actually understand what it feels like the moment that you realize that you're being sued for $100 million – and fewer may know what it's like to have the the thought and actually take it to action to sue them back for $125 million. Tell us what it felt like when you opened, I'm sure, a document that someone said, I'm suing you for $100 million. And tell us about the decision to that's sue them back. for That's the Clear Channel lawsuit. Randy yes. Michaels, who I found to be a um, – really flawed individual, bully, and um, who presented me with such a miserable crisis in my life. I spent a lifetime trying to build a reputation that was really torn down by the new Clear Channel. He was the head of the radio division, uh -huh. and he, he um, sent a, law, a lawsuit. But it was worse than a lot of people knew because – I got the letter. It's around Thanksgiving. In fact, it was on Thanksgiving break. I had just moved into a new house. My daughter was ill. My mother came to live with me. My father died. You couldn't ask for more bad things going on at the same time. And there it was, $100 million and RICO, racketeering. What? Yes. And what, what was your immediate reaction to that? Well, I don't know. I, I was stunned. Yes. I was stunned because I, I knew we were able to um, create opinions. And I really don't like consolidation, never did, still don't. Um, not wild about Lowry Mays. I think he's going to go down in history as one of the bad guys. And, of course, um, uh, Randy Michaels got the power at um, Clear Channel and then came after me. He tried to buy the publication previously, and I turned it down because I wasn't ready to sell at the time. So there was a lot of a lot of subplots. But there's a lot going on there, right? But it didn't feel good, and I had like something like 25 days 
with representation or else he gets an automatic judgment. Sure. So we got the got the court in the lower district of Manhattan and they and they threw out the Rico right away. And then when they saw we were working out of federal court that they chose in Southern District of New York, we they tried to move it to San Antonio. And sure. they did. And we spent another couple hundred thousand dollars. Wait, wait, move. they moved this to San Antonio? When they filed it in the Southern District of Manhattan. When did the $125 million countersuit develop? Well, it, it developed as soon as I found the attorneys who who were phenomenal in in uh, Long Island. These were people that were, you know, bubbling under. They were exactly the law firm for this lawsuit. And right people, client, right place. I'm right. not I'm not settling. I'm not, uh, you know, I'm, you can push me around all you want to. I'll lose everything, but I'm not going to let you get away with it. And I think they were very surprised to see that at the end of it all, um, we were three months or four months away from um, trial. And they began to come to us with, well, we'll give you a million dollars. We'll give you two million. We'll give you three million. I kept telling him to get lost. We're going to court. And then... Um, Eventually, they backed down and came up with enough money to settle what they wanted to buy inside radio along with it. So we threw that on top of the pile. And when they did, um, we had a deal. And um, But I will tell you this uncategorically. the I would give it all up. I'd give every penny up uh, to have it never have happened. No one should ever be bullied like that or That's after right be punished for telling the truth because in the end the truth is the best defense for libel if you want to win that case you better prove that i'm lying if i'm telling the truth you're going down and i'm going to get a 125 million dollar judgment and i wasn't backing down so that's but you see it sets the pace and it sets the scene for how i feel today about consolidation i I don't dislike any of these people in the industry who are trying to make as much money as they can. And you might be horrified to find out that I'm actually on really good terms with some of the players that I don't write very nice things about. <laughs> but they've ruined the business. They've ruined a perfectly good business. And it's sad to stand in front of a class of young people like I did last year with 31 students and say, how many of you listen to radio and no hands go up? That's where we are. Right. Right. That has to be addressed. Right. So yeah. listen, I, I'm going to take a turn here because once, once the settlement happened with the old clear channel folks and fabulous Randy Michaels, who you and I, you know, you and I do not like bullies of any kind. Okay. Only you're from Hoboken across from Frank Sinatra's place. So you and Frank will, <laughs> you know, you don't settle if you know what I mean. So whose idea was it for you to teach at USC? How did that come about? Well, as part of the settlement was um, a four year non-compete. Right. And like um, they didn't want me anywhere near the radio industry and they wanted it and they wanted inside radio, which they've, you know, I like Gene McKay and I like the people at, at they got a tough job working for that clown show mm-hmm. because they, they really they can't even identify the uh, the name of they can't even put iHeart's name on the website to say that they own it. So it's become a mouth 
piece for um, for iHeart, and that's what they wanted it for. And so I got my money, and that's that. But it's sad when I look at it sometimes and realize it has devolved to that. Yeah. But, so, um, so listen, so you get the settlement. You can't be in radio for four years. Yes. And your, and your dad's secretive B plan comes up <laughs> and you become a professor, <laughs> unbeknownst to you, sort of at USC. Yeah. And was that your idea? Did you pursue that? Well, I was, um, I, I moved to Arizona where I had a vacation house and sold everything else because I needed it for legal fees. Yeah. And, um, wow. and so I'm, I'm out in Arizona and my son went to the university of Southern California and I knew some people there, but I never thought of teaching. And so I got to know the Dean and the Dean offered me a job and an appointment as, um, a clinical professor of music industry and recording arts. And I didn't know how I was going to like it or not like it, but it was four years and it, it gave me an opportunity. Actually, I got to like it. I was living in Scottsdale, Arizona, and I would commute to a house that we bought in uh, Marina Del Rey. So we'd spend four weeks in Marina and three weeks back in in um, Arizona, where my daughter also lived then mm -hmm. as in college. So, you know, we, we, we put up with all of that and, and, and I realized I liked it, but you know, at the end of it all, I went back into what I knew and this time I didn't have to worry about the money because we got plenty of it from clear channel. Right. However, nobody was paying for subscriptions back in those days. Even the New York times didn't have a paywall. Right. We, we kind of pioneered a, a paywall that at a pretty high price and as you know, we used to have something like 11 or 12,000 readers um, um, of the free publication. And then the day we went to um, a paywall, which I talked about for about a year prior, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we went to from that to 36. And my wife said to me, what are you going to do now? <laughs> and I said, well, I got 36 subscribers that want to read me. I'm going to go write something. And then that built up into, into something. So, but, but, you know, then I discovered uh, when I came back, moved back to New Jersey, I actually moved seven houses away from the one we built in the same community that I had to sell because of Randy Michaels. Mm. So I'm seven houses up the street from that in the community I want to be in, in a wonderful town and right near the turnpike. So I can zip right up to New York and uh, met the uh, great Larry Miller, who is one of us in the, in the radio industry. He has a tremendous voice, but what's impressive about him is he has a command of the music industry that is really uncommon. He's a very bright guy. He's a great guy to work for because he encourages people like me to be as creative as possible. And I've got news for you. I don't think any other school would ever try what they're going to try at NYU starting in January, which is adding a second course uh, for stress-free living and working in the music industry. So all of that's to this, this man who, uh, who has a tremendous, I love working for him and I love the university. So it's, it's um, it, it turns out that 
these students are what really makes my day because money doesn't matter. I hate to talk like this because it does matter if you don't have any of it and it doesn't matter if you have bills and but right. you know what what really matters is when one of your students uh, sends you an email like I got a couple of days ago wanting to know how my summer was going or the number of heart emojis yes heart <laughs> emojis that you get from students you don't get from your own family but you get it from students who are happy to you know be taking courses like this and being in a university like that so it is uh, a, a tremendous because and I'll set you up for the next question, I'll bet. But um, okay. But this course that's coming up is a combination of the two passions that I've had in my life. One is anything music and media related. Right. You know, two, the human condition, the Dale Carnegie, the uh, how to stop worrying and start living, getting over anxiety, fighting uh, uh, people who were bullies. And these two things come together in a college-level course at a grade-A university. Uh, it presents a tremendous challenge that I take very seriously, and I'm thrilled to be able to do it. Well, I know you do a lot of self-deprecation, and I'm just going to call you out on it because you are very, very smart. Uh, you know, you go back to that book, How to Make $25,000 a Year, Writing a Newsletter. Okay, you're talking about having the wherewithal and maybe you could say that's right time right place but you did all the work to make all these things happen in 2011 you published a book called out of bad comes good the advantages of disadvantages which i think is really important on a, a podcast that's about encouragement which is what we are the encouragers the radio rally podcast tell us why you did that that title and what's the meaning of the title please well, because so many bad things happened in my life um, that were unfortunate that I had to overcome, and each time I overcame, well, I mean, I don't think too many people get a $100 million lawsuit from Clear Channel. Or, or anybody. Or win, or win a settlement like I got, but still right. I had to go through the pain of it all. Or have your father uh, as ill as he was from an early age, or have to become the man of the family, or, and I could go on and on. But whatever it is, I've come to learn, and the book is not about me. I, I have a story in there about me, but it's really about people like Steve Jobs, who built his own company. Can we all relate to this? Who brought a guy in to run his company and that guy got him kicked out of his company. So he had to go start another company right. while the man he brought in drove Apple into the ground. And in the end, Jobs comes back and rescues Apple. And unfortunately for him, didn't get to really enjoy all that he had done. So uh, Mother Teresa is an example in the book. Um, it's not just about money. It's about somebody who gave up privilege. She was in the privileged class. She came from money. But she went and worked with lepers. She questioned her own faith in God by saying, how could there be a God who could allow this kind of suffering, which a lot of people would think is, well, what kind of a nun is she? On the other hand, anybody who's around people of faith or people who have faith know 
that the reason they have it is because they question it and question it and reinforce it and reinforce it. Well, and there's a thing that you're talking about here that I recognize from my own personal relationship in religion, let's just say that, uh, which is that, you know, uh, God is not here to make your life perfect. You know, other company you go to work for is not here to make your life perfect. You're going to face adversity in your life and how you deal with that is going to be meaningful. And that's, that is really a a theme in the book, uh, Lloyd, because it's, it's not that we should go out and say, boy, I can't wait to have something miserable happen to me. So something good will happen later. (laughs) Of course. And there was, there was an interesting aspect that, uh, that I don't think I've ever talked about it, but it's interesting. I think I wouldn't publish the book until I could answer this question. And I had, couldn't answer the question for a long time. We had a friend, uh, my friend Bob and I, uh, who lost their son uh, mm. to suicide. Oh, tough. And, um, and I, I, I don't know how I could possibly say out of bad comes good. I used to say to my wife, I, I mean, I can, I can rationalize it on every other level easily. But I can't publish this book till I can answer that question. And the way I answered the question was not necessarily that, um, you know, that the good would be that they'd get their son back because we know that's not going to happen. Right. But there is a grandson involved. Mm. And there is good that came from and and uh, the mother of the grandchild and there's good that came to the family even after that unthinkable pain so you know i don't know where we think we're living we live we live as human beings on earth and i don't like to preach to people about religion personally yeah. speaking i had enough catholic training that i should have no religion at all but, <laughs> but what I, my sisters both went to catholic colleges and they said you're the only one in the family with any kind of religion because you go to a, a, a Catholic college, you won't. Well, that's not true. Wow. But in, in my case, I feel a more spiritual thing uh, that I don't know the answers. I mean, well, listen, I don't. Wait, this theme that you're talking about is so important, okay, that I'm going to say the name of the book again, Out of Bad Comes Good. The advantages of disadvantages. Is that book still available, by the way? It's on, it's on um, Amazon. Yes. Okay. And look, here what we're talking about here is that that good things and bad things happen to every person. Okay. So, what are you going to do? Right. That's the that's the theme, right there. It is because this is not an earth where you can name anyone who is exempt from adversity. That's right. Some people have more adversity than others. Some people have adversity that's kept very private. You don't know about it. Everyone suffers in their own way. But the, the good news, uh, Lloyd, is that in your own way, and I'm not preaching because I am not qualified. I'm just saying in your own way. There are ways to live in this world, even when things are as bad as they can get. And I'll tell you, 
If you feel like you're going to lose all your money, go bankrupt, lose a judgment against a company like Clear Channel when your career has been spectacular prior to that. But that's only one. There's many things that take place, the loss of people who are important, health issues and stuff like that. And um, but it's how you deal with adversity. You know, there's a saying adversity introduces a person to him or herself and to those around them. Correct. And I think that um, that I always tell my students, I said, you know, go out, enjoy yourself in the present. When things happen, just don't check out. Just say to yourself, you know, I'm going to hang in there because things get better again, which they always do. That's right. So listen, let's do this. Let's take a turn backwards just a little bit or actually in the present, too, maybe. What started you down the path of launching inside musicmedia.com? Well, after after USC, I thought I'd get back into the fray of the industry again. And um, I was disappointed to see how the industry had devolved even more. Right. And um, and at the same lies, the trade press, which I call the happy talk trade press, sucking up to power. Right. I'm not going to suck up to power. I don't care whether they like me or they don't like me. I care whether my wife loves me, whether my family cares for me, whether anyone would have any respect for anything that I say. Do I stand for anything? You don't have to win a vote. I don't have to have an election every time I write a story. I can write it and I could be wrong. And you can say, Jerry, that article is just awful. You're absolutely wrong. That's fair. <clears throat> but, uh, but we have watched our own industry die. We've helped it by being silent. And some people who could have done better, like some members of the trade press, not all, um, could have spoken up. It's a story of fear and money, right? Uh, And in the end, um, you know, all we need to do is realize that radio was never meant to be a Main Street business, and it is going to wind up on the. Uh, it doesn't bring me any pleasure to hear this. It hurts me because I love this industry. I love the people in it. Radio is really like ice hockey, and and this is why I love ice hockey. I love my Flyers too, even though they're not okay. doing it too well this year. But but I will tell you that it is like ice hockey. You go out, you compete, you beat each other up. Every once in a while, you'll take a stick and put it in somebody's eye and try to knock their eye out or whatever they do in hockey. But at the end, in the playoffs, when each series is won, the teams line up and shake hands. I have yet to meet radio people that aren't like that. I know they're like that here in Philly. They're like that in Phoenix where I lived. And and I'm just telling you that um, I, I think that that is what's so wonderful about our industry. Competitive, but we have kind of a a heart for each other. Now, this private equity money comes in, Lloyd, Mm. and what does it do? It turns it into the same junk heap that Toys R Us became, which is a company that was owned by the same company that funded Clear Channel all along, Bain. You know, they buy them. What do they do? They wreck them. They cut them down eliminate uh, employees. They find ways to have efficiency. They do not reinvest in the product. And in the whole time, 
they all take fees. In the end, they make their money back while they ruin everything they touch. And I am angry about that because that's my industry. That's the industry I always wanted to be in. It's the industry my friends are in. And I'll say one more thing. It's not the stories that I write. It's the stories that I don't write or I can't write because they hurt people. The stuff that's happened to people in the radio industry is so unfortunate. People with prostate cancer, stage three, fired by companies, Mm. knowing that they are dying, basically. And, um, you know, I've got no heart for this. Well, listen, I want to ask this. How did you know that people would share the information when you first began that publication? Or did you know that? Well, I'll tell you exactly how. And it's true to this day. And that is that I never reveal a source and I can prove it. I've been sued for a hundred million dollars and I never revealed a source. If there's anybody you ever want to tell anything to and want to be certain that you're never going to be identified, you're the guy. I proved it. All right. So listen, somebody told me this next thing about you and it, it totally floored me and caught me off guard because you know, I've read that other publication all the time and it's all, it's like lots of blue smoke about exactly what you're saying. People, uh, I would call it, I can't call it the word I want to call it. So I'll just call it corruption, corrupting local radio into something else. Okay. Mm -hmm. Which is their business model. And we're not here to crap on that, but just to say, look, local radio gets its power from being local. <laughs> so, you know, how you doing there? Uh, but this person said to me when we were talking about you, he said, Oh, Jerry is just the most positive person. And I said, well, no, wait a minute. <laughs> I said, what's going on here? And they said, well, do you get, do you get, do you subscribe to this thing that he does? And I go, no, I, I, I haven't in a while, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, so we get into the conversation and, and it becomes clear to me they're talking about another product that I did not know about with you. And this product is called Day Starters. Can you please tell us about Day Starters? Well, I think I identified for you early the two passions in my life, which is yes. the music media space and also the human condition. Right. Day Starters is this conversation you and I are having together about things, about adversity, about bullying. We've probably touched on five or six topics right here I could write about tomorrow and I've written about in the past. And what it's designed to do, it's very short, it's about the size of a paragraph. And um, we deal with different uplifting things that help us start our day. For example, When you get out of bed in the morning, before you get out of bed, try this. Try to think about three people who love you. And then try to think about three people you love. And before you get out of bed, why don't you think of something you're grateful for? Something you're grateful Mm. for. You get out of bed. Go to work. And when you go to work, smile at the first 10 people that you meet. You know, when people walk into my classroom at NYU, and I told you I love these kids, and I mean it when I say that, they walk in, they don't want to see a grouch. They don't want to see somebody who's intimidating. They don't want to see somebody who's going to scare the living hell out of them. They want to see a person who looks friendly and approachable, even if we don't agree on everything. And you know what? What I've just described 
is a power that's hidden in the human being, part of the human condition that can make us better. And for those people who say, yeah, but the world is awful and people are awful and people hate each other. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. You can go one-on-one with one person at a time and be the way you want to be. Be that person. That's the only way back. Not standing up and trying to find 50 million people that are going to agree with you. But the one person you bump into, you, Lloyd, uh, have been given a gift. What is your gift? The ability to articulate, speak, and make people feel comfortable. If you use that gift with others, you're going to help them. They may just need a start from a guy like you. See, we have power. When I look at my students, I see them there doubting themselves, and I think to myself, we've got to get them in touch with their power. No way. We, we have more power than people think we have. Absolutely. Than, than individuals. Than it, and like, if you could hear my voice right now, you have more power than you think you do. Well, yeah. I, believe, I believe exactly that what we need to do is look in terms of each individual, not try to be what you're not, try to find out what it is that you've got and start unlocking it to feel what it feels like. Like, for example, I I used to do this drill. I'll tell it to you real quickly. It's a Dale Carnegie drill I used to do. I hand out a three by five card to my adult students in Dale Carnegie. So we'd have maybe 40 students in a classroom, adults. Okay. On the card, I would say, I want you to write your three most important problems on this card. Do not put your name on the card. So I gave them five minutes. They would write their three biggest problems in life. Remind them again, you didn't put your name. I don't want your name. Okay, good. Pass it to the center. I take the card, shuffle them up, put them on a table in the front of the room, face down, and then say, okay, starting from the back row, come forward, pick up a card, go back to your seat. Follow me on this. They go and pick up the card, go back to their seat, give them a minute to look at the card, and then I would say, tell me. How many of you would like your own card back? And I have never had a situation where every hand did not go up. Now, by doing this, there's one thing. It doesn't mean you want the cancer that you have or you want the financial problems you have or the problems with your spouse that you have or whatever it is that was on your card. What it means is that you are now ready to accept problems you have so that you can work on them. That's what it's about. That's a huge deal. Jerry, listen, I, I hope that you're going to stick around for some potential questions from our audience. Does that sound fair to you? I'll be glad to do it. Thank All you. right. So listen, get more free resources to help your sellers with our encouraging sales success series inside our free blog at RainmakerPathway.com anytime. We are here to encourage radio pros at all levels. And yes, that includes you if you're in sales or in programming, or I don't care what you're doing if you're in the radio business, especially the local radio business we are for you. Subscribe anytime to the Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast on Apple Audible. Spotify, and almost anywhere you get your podcast. You can listen to episodes in our large and growing archive, as well as new episodes every single week. And I guarantee you that you will be encouraged by what you hear. You will learn unexpected and valuable things because of the value that comes from each episode. Jerry, I, 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 Always let people raise their hand inside Clubhouse if we want. I've got a couple of uh, pre-questions for you that came from people throughout the week, so I'm going to go ahead and ask those right here. Uh, 
and the first one's kind of interesting to me and I'm just going to guess, they didn't say this, but I'm going to guess that they're saying this because you taught out West and you taught in the East and the things that you talk about radio, you know, everything is changing in the landscape. Here's the question. When it comes to media stars, what is next in your opinion? Well, there's a, there's a great one there. Think I could be a consultant if I could answer that question accurately, but I'll give a give a clue to what I'm thinking. I think we're leaving the era of bullshit. Um, we've had enough of it. I mean, it's so much. Social media is kind of everyone has a reality, this reality or augmented reality. Do you realize App- Apple's going to have Apple Glass in a couple of years? Where be glasses, beautiful glasses you could put on and have all your your social media, your connectivity, your music and everything available in front of your face and the ability to augment your environment. So my answer is hmm. if I had to make a bet on which direction to lean for talent right. at this point in time, I would say embrace authenticity. I think people more than ever are going to appreciate the real deal. And with that comes a responsibility, Lloyd. The responsibility yeah. is not to make authentic be um, something that's insincere. And that happens a lot. It's to sincerely be authentic, to mean what you say. If you read the Dale Carnegie principles, Dale Carnegie talks about all the principles that you can't really argue with, but what one word does he talk about to unlock them all and its sincerity otherwise you're just using people so i think for bs right yeah so the future i think we're going to like stars in the future who are real yes and um and and i i think you know we've gone through morning zoos and we've gone through you know uh morning mashups and all sorts of things like that. But I, I think we're going to look for people who are the real deal and prove it to us all the time. Listen, Instead, Jerry, I, I talk to clients about this all the time, and it is the ground of sincerity and authenticity and how valuable and important that is and vulnerability. And here's what that really comes down to, to me, is what people want to be heard in an order for you to be somebody that that they want to trust they have to hear themselves in you they have to hear that you're okay that you're an authentic person right i agree with that yes okay so here's here's your last question and boy did i save a doozy for last year because this is what they want to know what is the future that you would like to see for the radio business? Well, I'd li- I think there's no doubt in my mind uh, that um, let's, let's just let me edit the question a little bit and say, what would I like to see for my students okay. who are young and have no interest in radio? OK, you know what I'd like to see? I would like to see a radio station about their interests with people that sound like them who talk about things they care about that's monetized by authenticity, meaning not more, uh, you know, BS ads that are on the air because they're cheap. Um, And that 
that bring a connection. You know, when we talk about talk shows, it's always political, right wing, this, this, that, political. That, that, that's you're missing it. You, you've got a whole generation from millennials, including now Gen Z, who have so many uh, problems to deal with um, anxiety yes. and mental issues. You could think of the ratings you could have on a radio station that actually didn't sound like a radio station from the 60s or 70s or 80s or 90s, but actually gave information out. I'd like to see radio become Twitter. All news oh. radio all news radio is Twitter. Don't do, you know, you can't do news radio like, it, like it's still the era of newspapers. I don't care what you make it sound like. People have short attention spans. No so... Problem. You know, I've, and I've been on formats like that when I've worked as a newsman where you actually had to do 60 seconds worth of news and eight headlines with the music bed over you. Uh, somehow it's funny what you can do, but yes, you can do that. You can appeal to shorter attention spans. I guarantee and, you a lot can be done by editing, right? Well, yes, and editing copy. You know, what, what would a journalism professor say? Anyone that I ever had would say, no matter how good your story is, cut it down. <laughs> you can make right. it shorter. So, so there's, there's that. And why would I say this? Because in the um, world that we live today, the radio industry offers very little to anyone under the age of 45 or 50. Older people would happily pay for Sirius XM. My students want nothing to do with any of that. They don't want anything to do with radio. Spotify is the new hit radio. Right. And they're not big podcast listeners, but they might have a favorite podcast or two, but they don't listen to a lot of them. So what it's basically saying to you is I want something local. I want something about me. I want something that sounds like me. I want something I care about. I want something presented in a creative way. And I think that if we didn't have consolidation, and I hope everyone hears me, and we had mom and pop operators or small independent companies, when their kids went off to college and came back to work in the family business, they would have updated mom and pop and radio would have been more competitive. What, what the, you know, private equity companies have done is they've come in and wrecked them by trying to make them one big mess of how can I cut these stations back and not have studios here and not have sellers there and take these two markets and put them together. And you see where that's gotten us. So I think the future of radio is also local. And there are some companies that are, uh, that are doing it. Uh, more than others. And, and maybe I'll just point this out very quickly. We had a miserable day on the stock market today. Everything is down. Ooh. Apple stock is down $5 again. And, uh, but Ed Christian's saga is up over a dollar <laughs> and it's $23. It's the most expensive radio stock. It is ported by institutions that buy it for a dividend. And what is it? It is a pure play local radio company. So I'm telling you, if people, I just was working on a story today uh, for Inside Music Media about um, the recession and how these stations that are owned by iHeart, Odyssey, Cumulus, that are backed with money from private equity, they're really going to have a tough time with this recession that's coming up. The average recession lasts for 18 months. 
and we're any day now it looks like we're gonna we're gonna hear that we're in one mm. well you know how do you survive that the answer is be a local radio station it always survived in the past it always came back and it always helped advertisers well i want to point out suit. that you did something that was really amazing in just the last two or three minutes here you didn't talk about just getting back to local radio you talked about several generations of people that don't have a mirror at radio they don't have things that sound like them that look like them that they don't have any of that at radio that is a failure to move to what's next right yeah don't you think i i i think so so listen you've been unbelievably gracious even to talk to us but certainly to spend this amount of time with us we do try to keep things to about an hour I want to thank you first, absolutely, for joining us and hope maybe in the future, maybe you'll join us for uh, uh, learning about uh, younger radio listeners, or uh, you may say that in another way, students, millennials, uh, 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 the next wave, right? Yes, They're, it's fascinating, and they will tell you. You can see the future right now. It isn't pretty for traditional media. It's not even pretty for Netflix. Netflix is all of a sudden a company that's in play. So what is the future? And that you could go on and on with that. Now you can see why I enjoy teaching these students, because you can look at them and you can see what they think about. I'll end on this note. If mm -hmm. you can imagine a world where I get two hours to drive back from New York City on the turnpike and I get to digest things like this, that um, that the music is discovered on TikTok. music is discovered and encouraged by user generated um use so that people like to create their own content i.e they want to be their own program director that spotify is the new source of of music it's what you have to have spotify apple or whatever you have to have a streaming music service yes. and yet things may change again in the next couple of years. Oh, and no. Things are going to change. Yeah. And by the way, all of this is called compression. It's been going on for a long time. It's just hit the technology era. That's what you're feeling, right? Yeah. It's a combination of technology and sociology. Yep. I always like to say that every time I take a look at the media business, I wonder why people are always saying, well, we've got to talk about the uh, what the radio is going to look like in the car. Well, the radio is going to look like nothing until you put <laughs> something on the radio that people who own cars care about. And, you know, I, I promised that was my last comment, but I'll just say this. Uh, I met uh, uh, one of my readers um, has a part-time job working for BMW. Mm -hmm. And he told me that Everybody that any it's in technology, so he has to explain how to use the the entertainment system, which is really amazing. I said, "Well, sure. how's that work?" He says, "Well, if they're over forty five, they just want to know how to get to the radio." <laughs> he said, "If they're under forty five, they don't want to know where the radio is. They just want to know how to get the CarPlay or or you know Android Auto or you know the, where's my stuff." Yeah, right. and that's why this, this discussion, and I read these studies all the time, and I just shake my head and I wonder to myself, why are we having this discussion? You've lost the car. Don't talk to me about people staying home and not commuting. They'll eventually commute again somewhere. It's the fact that you've got to offer them something that they want, 
to get them engaged. And that's where I think we, if you want to pick it up, that's where you need to pick it up in the future. Well, because if you don't, if you're not compelling, what's the reason for you, right? Well, and you have to have a reason to be. And and that's why I say the car, radio was always in the car, so it was always an advantage. But now it's in the car. If you're under 45, yeah. you know, you just care about CarPlay, you know. And I, I, I right. want – I don't necessarily want a radio on. I, I want to have contact with all the rest of the digital stuff that's going on in the car. So they've lost me too. Make it well, so that you can't lose people by giving them things – they care about from people that sound like them who talk about things that uh, are important. Yeah. Look, uh, what do people want? They want the stuff they care about. What's salient to them, give it to them or they're going to find it somewhere else. Listen, if you know somebody that you would like to hear as a guest on the radio rally, email me F O R D at rainmakerpathway.com. We do hope that you have a great week. Like we say on rainmaker pathway and the radio rally, once you have a radio station, get anything else you want. Of course, you do have to try. We do want to say a special thanks to our guest for this live event and podcast, Jerry, for being with us, for being our patient and giving guest. A very special thank you to Joe Kelly for producing the Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast, which should be available uh, very rapidly. So fast to the way he turns this around after doing just a little bit of work to make us sound a little bit better. And JustJoeProductions.com for creating our audio footprint and distributing our podcast. Please do share the encouragers the radio rally podcast including this episode with others that you know that are interested in growing their careers in audio subscribe for free on apple audible spotify or almost anywhere you get your podcast and please remember this if you don't remember anything else that you heard tonight be kinder than you have to be thank you for being a part of the radio rally and the encouragers and good night